This is one of those hard passages, not necessarily hard to understand, but hard uh, for us to hear. Uh, I don't know how many people here have uh, put an extension on their house. I know a few of you have. It seems simple, doesn't it, to add a little room on the side. But then, of course, there's the redecoration of the room that you came from. And then there's the new furniture. And then you're diverting the drains. Then you're re-landscaping. Then you've got to pay the architect's fees. Then you've got to pay the project manager's fees. And then there are the other regulations. And so it kind of goes on. And what started as a simple project suddenly takes on a life of its own. Marion and I have done a number of building projects. In fact, every house we've gone to is a building project. That's why I buy them. That's the beauty of being a surveyor. Um, uh, Not that she thinks that, but anyway. Uh, And they've all overrun, both in terms of cost, but also in terms of time. It's inevitable, really, because until you start unearthing uh, what is below the ground or behind the panelling, you don't know, really, what your cost is going to be. But the point of the passage is that you should count the cost before you start. Always get the contingency because you're always going to use it. In life, it's the same. We tend to do things without counting the cost. Ask the church treasurer or the church warden. It'll only be a couple of hours a week, guy. Honest? (laughs) Not. It soon becomes clear that it's so much more. We do things without thinking. I was, uh, reminds me actually, I was um, in in Canada with the boys and William called me over to this uh, sort of plaque uh, and I thought it was telling me about the rapids and the waterfalls that we were, we were standing next to. And he said, this lad's from East Horsley. Uh, and there we are in Canada, and there's a plaque to a, a, a lad from East Horsley, who was about 20, who, who was on the sort of 15th of October, made a bad judgment call. Yeah, clearly he thought he'd have some fun in a canoe or something and go over the waterfalls. It was the last thing he did. We don't stop to count the cost. My own uh, Wanish error was actually, I think, Guy, you might have been there at that too. I I was at a dinner party and um, there were about 12 or 14 people, something like that. Uh, And I was chatting to Guy who had just done the London Marathon. Uh, And I'd always said, you know, I'd always wanted to do a marathon. Didn't really think any more of it. And at the end of the dinner, uh, which was sort of an introduction for everybody, but also to Nick Bamber, Nick stood up and said, it's really good news. Viva International are entering the London Marathon next year. And we all said, that's fantastic. Who's doing it? And they said, David, you volunteered. It's absolutely (laughs) wonderful. And at the time, I thought, wouldn't that be fun? I might like to do one again, but only when I've got time to do the training next time. The time we are good at telling people to count the cost is, of course, in marriage. The marriage service itself says it's not something to enter into lightly, but after due thought, 
and consideration. So perhaps it's no surprise that Jesus turns to his disciples here and says, please count the cost. There's no such thing as a free lunch. That's how we would say it. All these crowds have been attracted by uh, Jesus, the thrill-seekers, the miracle-watchers. A crowd attracts a crowd after all. And Jesus turns to them and says, first of all, you've got to hate your mother and father, your brothers, your sisters, and then pick up your cross and follow me. Now, I say, for a God of love, those statements seem really odd. How can we hate someone when he's all about love? Does he really mean that we're all going to die in his service? And the answer to both questions is yes. But I think there's a more of a context and the context will explain uh, that he's not being quite as harsh as it first sounds. Because the phrase to hate is sort of comparative. It's a relative term. It's saying that for the sake of one thing, you will turn to another. It's a choice. If you come from a strong Christian family, you've probably never had to make that choice in the way that others have, because it seemed normal and natural. I have to say, when I became a Christian or started going to church more regularly. I'm the only person in my family who has any church connection whatsoever. Uh, um, my mother said to me, yes, it's lovely that you go, just don't get too involved. <laughs> she probably knew deep down where it would lead. Even with a family, sometimes you have to say No that you're not going to do something. You're not going to get involved in that. Even though the world may say blood is thicker than water, in God's eyes, I think the water of baptism is thicker than the blood. It's not actually hate that divides families. Very often it's the love that divides families. The love that tries to protect and surround, prevents you from growing, prevents you from experiencing something new, prevents you from seeing the truth for themselves. So the hate is, I think, relative. And we'll come back to that, because let's look at the idea of carrying your cross. Uh, It comes near the beginning, verse 27. Anyone who does not carry his cross for me cannot be my disciples. The Jews would, of course, all have known what the cross meant. It was the most symbolic, the most hideous, the most ghastly means of capital punishment uh, that I think man has ever come up with. It can last several days until you drain away uh, and you suffocate generally. But it always does one thing. It always kills there is only one outcome, and that is death. Uh, And what they used to do is get you to carry the crossbeam of the cross to the place of crucifixion, just as we know that they did with, uh, with Jesus. 
And that is the carrying of the cross. So what does Jesus mean here? To the Jew, of course, it would have been pretty obvious. Uh, Once you're sentenced, you carry your cross to the point of crucifixion. This is the ultimate one-way ticket. You will die if you carry your cross. So Christ here, when he says, you can't be my disciple until you carry your cross, is really saying, if you want to get to that new birth, you've got to die to what you are at the moment. You will never be the same again. Your perspective, your character, your behaviour, your language, everything about you will be different because your old self has gone. Now, when we see what Jesus meant by that, the phrase of hating the family, again, comes into context. The presence of God and our walk with God needs to be more important than our walk with the family. Our place in society, our image in the world. That's why Jesus turns to say, I know, I know you're following me because all of this is fun and exciting and amazing and you won't have seen anything like this before. But just stop and think and count the cost. This is, as we would say, where the rubber hits the road. This is not an impetuous decision. It's a once-in-a-lifetime decision because it will change your life. A half-finished building does not give that place of warmth and security that you were always longing for. The extension where you've banged through from your existing room would be nothing unless you complete it because then you've ruined what you already had. And sometimes it's that appeal of uh, money or status or recognition which is more important than that close walk with God. And God is saying, no, when you, when you follow me, you follow me. And you're in it. Uh, r- you're right in it, but you're in it for me. So this is a really challenging question. And it's a similar question that Paul... I, I was struggling to see why the Philemon passage was linked to the Luke passage. They seem slightly different, but the question Paul is given, uh, giving to Philemon is about his slave Onesimus. Uh, and Onesimus had run away from Philemon uh, and had found Paul. And Paul had tended him uh, and uh, the, um, the slave had grown in faith. And Paul then writes this letter by hand, interestingly, his own hand, back to Philemon, saying, please take him back to do God's work with you, because he is now a different person. He has now committed himself to following God's world, God's way. Put aside your prejudice, put aside your preconceptions, put aside any previous experience. Look at the love in Onesimus' heart. Look at who he's following. Look at where he's going and forget your own discomfort. This is asking Philemon to carry the cross, to follow the path of God. Put aside 
the world's thoughts, your own thoughts, and follow God's. And I think we all have situations when the pull of the world is strong. And our image in that world may be very damaged, but our image in Christ would be strengthened. And that again is the cost of being a disciple. As several of you here will know, I was at a Thanksgiving service on Monday last. Uh, I, you know that because I know that you were there as well. Um, it was for, uh, I would say, a young man. He was 60. Uh, he lives in Bramley, but went to St. Saviour's Church. Uh, and we were at the uh, memorial on Thanksgiving service together. There were probably about 500 people there. Um, so that shows a certain mark of the man, probably. But you find what image, what character, what mark you made on the world, probably when you died. That's a sadness, isn't it, really? But his brothers spoke, his work colleague spoke, his friends spoke, uh, and then his brother-in-law spoke. And they all said the same thing. It was his love of God that defined his character. And through that love, he was compassionate, kind, and humble towards other people. That was the mark of the man. Because he carried his cross every day. And that's what they remembered. But they didn't just remember that he was a nice guy. They remembered that he was a nice guy because he carried a cross. And that's the charge or challenge that is ours this morning. Let's just bow our heads. Heavenly Father, your call to us is... Uh, amazing and remarkable. Remarkable that you give of yourself so willingly. Remarkable that you lay down your own life for ours. But help us to remember that out of that love, our love for you compels us to carry your cross to be seen as yours, to be committed to you, and so walk the path that you have called us to. Lord, be with us in the days ahead that we indeed might remember in those difficult moments that we stand as forgiven people, loved by you and willing to serve you in return. So Lord, in that difficult passage, difficult to hear, we pray that you may open our ears, that your word may enter our hearts, that we may then walk and live for you. In your name we pray. Amen.